Welcome to the Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show on today's show. We have Josh Goldstein, a short term rental investor who owns in quite a few different markets. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear his perspective on a lot of the different markets that he invests in. So, hey, Josh, how's it going? Hey, Avery, how are you? I am doing awesome. Thanks so much for asking. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. yeah me too. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background. Has it been in real estate investing? Has it been in something else? How you fell into real estate investing, all that? So uh, my background is in uh, production. I am a producer. I've done a little bit of everything, tons of music videos, commercials, some movies, TV, just kind of across the board. Um, so my, my background is not real estate. Um, what led me to it is, um, in 2015, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and realized that having one stream of income when I can't work is uh, bad. <laughs> so basically all my income stopped and I needed to figure something out and I did recover and, um, it led me onto the journey of bigger pockets and learning as much as I could until I finally jumped in. Wow, pancreatic cancer. That's that's definitely a wake-up call. It it was. It was something I wasn't expecting. Um, I was kind of living my life uh as I'm making decent money, I'm spending <laughs> spending a lot of money. Um, but I wasn't worrying about it because uh I was just having fun and I don't know not really worrying about the future. Uh, but whether you're have something life-changing like that or not, I still think worrying about the future is good. Absolutely. And sometimes it takes a wake up call to realize like, Hey, just because the next gig is around the corner right now, doesn't mean it's always going to be right around the corner. You never know what's going to pop up and bite you. So it's good to Absolutely. think about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what is in your portfolio, long-term, short-term, a mix of both. What do you think? Uh, I have a mix of both. Um, <laughs> to, to be honest, I, I've, I've kind of been copying you guys uh, as I've been watching your journey. <laughs> um, you know, you were integral in my uh, getting started. Um, the second deal I purchased was with you, and it was those two cabins in Pigeon Forge. Um, but the, the one deal I had before that was just a three bedroom, Kansas city, Missouri, long-term rental, super simple deal, uh, relatively inexpensive. Um, but when I heard your pod podcast and, and, and talk about, uh, supercharging your portfolio with short-term rentals, it excited me and getting that extra cash flow so I could just dump it right back into more real estate. Um, is it's amazing and it really works. So that's kind of the path that I've been leading. Well, I'm glad to hear that um, our example has has worked out for you. Of course, you know it. Anybody can do it. It's just sometimes you need a little <laughs> bit of a roadmap. <laughs> well, it's just the thing. It's you see someone else doing, you're like, I don't know why I didn't think about that. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, I should do it, and that's kind of what I did. <laughs> 
Awesome. Awesome. So where are all of your different properties? Um, so I have about seven doors in Kansas City, Missouri, and those are all long-term rentals uh, with property management company. Um, those are super easy in terms of once I get them up and running, my property management company is great. I kind of just set it and forget it. Um, deal with them every once in a while just to check in and see how things are going. Um, but my short-term rentals, um, I do manage all myself. So I have three cabins in the Smoky Mountains. Um, and as you know, those were purchased with two deals. So one had two cabins on it. Um, and then the second one that I purchased with you out there had one four-bedroom cabin. And then it had a one-bedroom cabin where there was a long-term renter and two uh, uh uh, motor, uh, not motorhomes, um, mobile homes, mobile homes. Yes. Yeah, thank you. That. <laughs> um, that pay, uh, pay rent for the pad, um, which I'm going to start converting into short-term rentals as well. Um, but that's three extra streams of income, um, just right off the bat when I was renovating the big four bedroom, uh, from there. And then I have one cabin in Idlewild, California, and then another that I just went live on in Big Bear, California. Awesome. So I'm going to back up to your long terms. Yes. How did you choose Kansas City for your long-term market? Um, I mean, I, I was in analysis paralysis for a long time. I feel like I went through a bunch of different markets. And I think all the markets I went to were probably good. Ultimately, it was just connections that I made. Uh, through networking that led me to Kansas City because I feel like Kansas City is great, but there are other markets like it. And once you meet the right people and it seems to work, I just kind of dug in and, and kept going there. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've I've done the same thing uh, in, in long-term, in multi-investing, where we were looking at a bunch of different markets and then we were just, you know, asking some questions in some different groups and then it just played out in our multi-market a lot easier than it did other places. So got to just follow those relationships. Exactly. And I, and I did like when I was researching other markets, there were some markets that I even put some offers in on and for whatever reason uh, they didn't work out maybe because I was new and was trying to be too nitpicky and, you know, no less than, than what I do now. <laughs> um, but again, it led me on this journey and it led me to Kansas city. And I do think it's a great market. Um, so I'm, I'm appreciative of it. Awesome. Well, let's talk about those mobile home pads for a minute. So what are you going to do with those that will be short-term rentals? Are you going to keep the existing mobile home there or you got more creative plans? I, I do have more creative plans. Um, I've never been inside the mobile homes, but I have a feeling that they're not <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, short-term uh, ready <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Um, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm either going to purchase the mobile homes from them and unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, demo them um, or pay to move them to another pad. Uh, and then I'm either going to look at container home, some sort of like tiny home and create like a cool little environment over there. Um, yeah, whether that's container, tiny home, uh, I don't know. Uh, something that I'm going to think about as yeah, or as even like an airstream or yeah, I have thought about an airstream too. Exactly. Which yeah, yeah, those are awesome. 
So this is one of the very few instances where I would say, okay, on a tiny home, because so many people, and uh, we've had them on, on the show before, want to do the tiny home thing, but it can just be so difficult if all of the proper engineering and subdividing and things like that aren't in place. And so if you already have zoning and it's allowed for a mobile home like that, where you already have the pad and it's already ready to go, a tiny home or an Airstream or something like that could be a really good option because all that's already set up for you. It's the setup part that's really, really difficult. So this would be one of the very few instances that I would be like, yeah, go for that. Do that. Yeah. It's so, always been like that deal, um, as you know, was, was, I mean, it was great timing that we got it because um, it wasn't super expensive compared to the market right now, um, especially for, for uh, <laughs> active streams. Um, but, uh, and, and also there is a giant garage on that property that I also plan to turn into a one bedroom cabin. So all said and done, I'm going to reconfigure everything. It will be for short-term rentals, uh, by the time it's done, the four bedroom is up and running. We did renovate it, um, put probably 60 to $70,000 into the renovation and, um, made it pretty nice and it's renting really well. So now that that's stabilized, I'm going to start focusing on the, the other parts of it. If I remember correctly, did that deal come with a dog? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it did. Uh, and because they're neighborhood dogs, no one actually claims them. I've talked to many neighbors. Um a lot of neighbors do feed them and kind of care for them, but uh, they do roam around and uh, visit the cabin uh, quite often. <laughs> so some guests sometimes will have some friendly uh, dog visitors as on their stay. <laughs> Welcome to the South, y'all. <laughs> well, and, and weirdly, there was a time when uh, my family and I were there uh, working on it. And my wife and I were watching TV. It was kind of late at night and I heard something outside. And, you know, I've been at my other cabins when I've seen bears and I've seen some other random wildlife. Um, but I kept hearing this noise. I walk outside just to see what it was, look down the balcony, and there were two, two giant horses that made it up. I, I know. I, <laughs> I was like, you have to come out of here and look at this. This is insane. Um, they must have been in the neighborhood and it was like two of them that like hung out together. They must've been best friends and walked up this giant driveway and uh, were just grazing on some grass and hanging out. But it was, it was quite spectacular. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> what do you even do? I guess, I mean, you don't, there's not really, do you call like the animal control and they try to figure out whose they are. I don't even know what to do about it. <laughs> we didn't do anything. Uh, we just said, all right, well, let them roam for a while. And it was late at night. And, uh, you know, they, after a couple hours left and went on their way. So um, I think they're fine. And, you know, probably just roam the neighborhood if they get out of the, wherever they stay. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's a good story. It's a great yeah. story. <laughs> well, let's switch gears and talk about your big bear property. So what size is that? What are you looking at for income numbers? All that good stuff. Sure. Um, it's a small cabin. It's a two bedroom, one bath. Um, 
we, for that and the Idlewild property, because uh, that one is the same, it's a two bedroom, one, one bath. We went a little higher end, um, even though it's a small cabin, we put quite a, quite a, quite a lot of money into the renovation and went with high end furnishings and just try to make it as nice and high end as possible. Um, and we're looking probably, I mean, I think I analyzed it at 60 to $70,000 gross, but I, I'm expecting more out of that one. I probably 80 to a hundred, I would say, um, because, you know, we're going after a certain clientele We're we're pricing a little bit higher and I think it's nice enough that we're going to get that. Cool. So what did you pay for that? We paid $350,000, which was $50,000 over asking. Um, it was already a hot market. Um, they listed it for 300. I already saw the potential and it was a, a bidding frenzy. So we went high and we were in the top three and we weren't even, I think we maybe matched the highest bid, um, but we wrote a letter and kind of like did our dance and we were the ones that were chosen, luckily. Awesome. So it kind of sounds like maybe you always choose value add properties. Is that true? Because it kind of, it's a common theme I'm noticing. Yeah. I mean, the, the first two that I got with you guys uh, were pretty turnkey, although I think we're coming up to a point where I, I might do a slight renovation just to update it and make it a little bit nicer. Um, but yes, I mean, I definitely look for stuff that's value add, um, has multiple properties on one piece of land, something that I can add what I like to do to it and uh, squeeze more profit out of it. D was your Idlewild property, was that a value add too, or was that more turnkey? No, it was value add as well. Um, okay, let's hear about know, that one. It started out, you know, it's a really cute A-frame, two bedroom, one bath. Um, bought it for, I bought it in June of 2020 when the market wasn't as hot as it was. I think it was listed for 300 and no one was big on it. And I got it for 275. Um, and we put about 60, $70,000 into it, added a hot tub, um, redid the outside, added a huge deck to the back. So it has an amazing view now. Um, in 2021, we're going to gross probably like 95,000. And so the returns on that are quite good. And, and I did wind up <clears throat> using a line of credit to purchase it with a quote unquote cash and then did the renovation and I did a cash out refi. So it was kind of a burr because um, I got most of my money out already. And oh, cool. um, that's what I've kind of been looking at. I, I did that with um, the four bedroom in the Smoky Mountains as well. Once we finished renovation, got it stabilized, we pulled out, uh, I think it just appraised for $600,000 oh, and we wow. bought it for three seventy-five, dollars And so we pulled out $120,000 and um, using it to buy more and renovate more. Awesome. So actually, I want to go back to the Big Bear property because I heard somebody yeah. recently say something about... Uh, so is yours like close to the lake or is it not close to the lake? It's not. We're a little bit further away. We're about 15 minutes away from the ski resort. Um, okay. So it's a little off the beaten path. It's a really serene, quiet neighborhood. 
it backs up to the national forest. So during the summer, you could go hiking, like literally just down the street from us, which is amazing. Um, we're trying to avoid the party scene. So <laughs> we're, you know, it's a small cabin. So we're keeping the capacity at four people, even though we could squeeze a little bit more in there. Um, for personal use, we might, but for rentals, we're going to keep it to four for now and see how it goes. Um, and yeah, I mean, the big discussion in Big Bear right now is there's a ton of regulations for Big Bear Lake and we are technically in Big Bear City, so there's less regulations. But even with the regulations, I'm just trying to follow kind of what they're doing so that as the regulations come to Big Bear City as well, I don't get stuck or caught, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, that does make sense. So uh, what I had heard was that the regulations were surrounding like the water level in the lake or that's what was driving them is that, I don't know, you'll know better than I but I heard something about the water level of the lake is driving the regulations because they don't want people getting in it or something like that. They close the beaches. Um, I probably shouldn't talk about stuff that I don't know about, but can no. you shed some light on that? <laughs> um, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know a ton about the water level portion. I know half the lake um, is dry now. Um, and I, I know there's some gorgeous properties that had lakeside um, frontage that don't anymore. But I think that was more from um, drought and potential, oh, gotcha. you know, fires that, you know, they scooped up water from. Because I know they a sim similar thing happened to a lake in Idlewild where helicopter was coming and scooping up water to put out fires. Um, a lot of the regulations are the battle between um, full-time residents and short-term owners. And because it's a mountain town, not as big as the Smokies and not as accessible as the Smokies. Um, people that need to work there also need a place to live because it's not worth commuting an hour or so to, you know, go to whatever their job is. So it's really a lot about that, a lot about the party scene, a lot of Airbnbs or short-term rentals there um, will put 10 people in to a two-bedroom place. And it the parking situation is highly impacted. The neighbors are highly impacted. So that's a lot of where the fight goes. So uh, what they've implemented is they have a 20, you know, like basically you have to have someone that's on 24 seven. So if there's a complaint, that person, whether it's the actual owner or you, they have these compliance officers have to respond within 30 minutes to shut down a party or take, you know, go there and say, hey, you have too many cars here. You have to move this many cars and um, kind of keep the neighborhood happy. Gotcha. And I think a lot of short-term rental regulations are similar to that. Like in Destin, where I own, you do have to have a local person who can be available. It may also be within 30 minutes, uh, but you have to have a local person who can be available, you know, is available, I guess, not can be. And typically your cleaners in that market will agree to be that person. And just because if you're managing, well, you can't necessarily manage out all parties, but you can certainly mitigate the amount of parties by managing well. So typically cleaners are okay with that. Is that how it is there? Or do you have to like, is there a specific company that you have to use? There, there are a lot of cleaners that do it. Um, but because it's such a big thing in Big Bear, there are a lot of companies that just do uh, 24 seven compliance. 
So, because another thing that you have to do uh, is these, they'll offer to go and check the people in to make sure that there's the number of people that they said when they booked it, um, that there's not more. And as long as they do that, if later they add more people, they're in violation of the city code. And that then that compliance officer will go down and kick people out, basically. Um, but yes, a lot of cleaners do it, um, but there are a lot of just people that are those compliance officers and, you know, it's, a, it's in demand. So there's both. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. I haven't, haven't heard of doing it that way before. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. So you are in three short-term markets or three, I would call them all vacation markets. Idlewild, I don't know that much about, but I think it's kind of like a weekend getaway type place, right? Absolutely. So how do you choose a short-term market when you're ready to go buy another one? What are you looking for if you're not going to buy in the same market you're already in? Um, places that I like to go. And, and uh, <laughs> um, you know, when I chose the Smokies, again, I'm giving you all the credit because I heard you on Bigger Pockets. <laughs> you don't podcast. have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Um, I had never been there before. Um heard you talk about it on bigger pockets and everything you were saying, the numbers you were saying, it just, a light bulb went off and, um, I reached out to you. We had a nice phone call, started looking at places, put an offer in before I'd ever been there and then got accepted and went out there for the first time during inspection. And I dragged my wife and two kids at the time. And we, <laughs> we just had a quick short weekend there and, and, uh, you know, I don't know, made the most out of it. And it was fun. And <laughs> the rest is history. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, and then, so you just basically choose places that you like to go and then check out the regulations and then kind of work from there. Absolutely. I mean, I mean I'm conflicted a little bit right now because I'm in three markets and I'm trying not to spread myself too thin. Um, I do think the next step for me is hiring an assistant or mm -hmm. someone that could help my day to day because I do have a full-time job producing commercials mm -hmm. and it keeps me pretty busy. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, and as you and Luke train, um, I do have a lot of automation and so I'm not overwhelmed with it, but you know, problems do arise and I have to take care of them. And sometimes when I am filming uh, and some crazy problem happens at one of the cabins and I need to deal with right away. Sometimes it gets a little stressful. Um, <laughs> but again, it doesn't happen all the time. So it's it's been okay so far. Cool. So can you kind of compare the markets that you're in? So whether that's regulations wise, purchase price wise, easiest to manage wise, what are what are you seeing across all three of your markets? Can you kind of compare and contrast? Sure. Um, I would say the Smokies uh, is very solid in terms of, even though everyone says January, February is a slow time, it's done, it's still done very well. I mean, like the prices get lowered a little bit during that time, but it's still busy. You know, people are still booking the cabins all the time. So I just feel like Smoky Mountains, it's just a solid market that, as as you know, it's the most visited uh, national park in the country, and um, I, I don't think that's ever going to die down. So Idlewild, when I purchased that, it was something I'd heard about for a long, long time. I'd never been there, but everyone was saying how magical it was. It's a tiny little town in the mountains above Palm Springs, and um, 
there's a lot of older cabins there, not a ton of um, well-appointed cabins and nicely done cabins. Um, even though they're cute and charming in their own way, I think that there is a demand for something a little bit higher end and a little bit nicer. And catering to the LA market, um, I feel like there's plenty of people that we can market to there. And so when I went up there, um, we fell in love with this A-frame that we wound up bought, buying. And, um, and uh, you know, once we finished uh, fixing it up, it's been really, really solid. It's been booked nonstop. Um, I would say less maintenance calls there than my three Smoky Mountains cabins. Um, but that's also because we did quite a big renovation in it and made sure that everything was functioning really well. Um, things obviously still come up, but not as often as the Smoky Mountains. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think we did a pretty good job so that guests are just very appreciative to be there. And um, in that sense, it's just been very easy. Um, and then for Big Bear, I just listed. Um, so I will find out, but I'm hoping that it's the same or similar to what Idlewild is in terms of we did a lot of work to it. We put a central AC unit in, we did insulation all over, we redid a ton of stuff inside, not just uh, aesthetics, but functionality too, so that it makes it more comfortable for our guests. Awesome. So in Idlewild, there's not really a lot of renovated cabins? It's like, it's starting to a little bit more, but no, there's not a ton of them. Um, okay. They're, yeah. they're a little bit more vintage-y. And they're cool. I mean, like, they're so cool looking. But you get there, you know, a vintage cabin, it's like dusty and it's, you know, like mm -hmm. functionally, it's a little bit more work for a guest to stay warm and to, you know, do the things that right. you might want to deal with when you're on vacation. Yeah, yeah. So one of my good friends who lived in L.A. for the longest time, I helped her and her husband um, not find a place in Idlewild, but she had an agent there and she would like send me her properties and say, what do you think about this to live in? She was going to move there. She did. She lived there for several years and she did buy a seventies A-frame that was like this perfect time capsule of the seventies with like the brown shag carpet with the little lines in it. And she just left it. She did a few little updates just on things that weren't functional, but it had one of those cool, um, orange, wood stove things like fireplace you know what i'm talking about yeah, there, yeah, like yeah. there's one on Mad Men yeah. and the apartments they moved into mom fireplaces oh that's what yeah, it's called okay there's a name for it. <laughs> yeah so cool and she and it was really really cool and she just bought actual vintage furniture and just kept the whole 70s thing going it was really cool but i can kind of see how you might want something a little more updated but that's really cool that the whole market's kind of like that well one thing i mean we cuz we do love the vintage look and feel um, so what we try to do is we update it, but try to keep in the vein of the same style. So, I mean, like we'll throw in some modern or more modern furniture or pieces here and there, but for the most part, we try to keep it um, in the same architectural vein because we did fall in love with it when we found it and, and, uh, and purchased it. So um, we do our best to do that. I'm not sure if we're super successful <laughs> with that, but I think it looks pretty good. Well, as long as you're making money, I mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so 
in that same vein, when you're looking at properties, so you've, you've chosen a market and now you're looking at properties, what do you look for in a property? Is it a specific price range, a specific cash on cash return, or, you know, that opportunity to add value? What are you looking for? I think adding value is probably the most important to us. Um, and we also try to look for something that's architecturally interesting to kind of make it stand out from the others. Um, and, and if that's the case, uh, design wise, we could do something a little more interesting to make it stand out as well. Um, obviously price point does play a factor in it because the numbers ultimately are everything and I'm not going to buy something just to buy it. Um, but we love the value add and we love, uh, looking for something interesting architecturally. Cool. So you look for value add mostly. That's a, it's a good strategy. Cool. It's difficult to find nowadays. It is. A few years ago, but now it's, it's pretty hard. <laughs> and, and I feel like this year purchasing wise, uh, I have slowed down because we only started January, 2020 and we built up 15 doors within that time. Um, and five of those are short-term rentals. Um, but now, uh, prices have gone up quite a bit and, getting fixer ups or fixer uppers, fixer uppers or uh, <laughs> value add um, are more difficult. Like, yeah, like you said. God, January 2020 seems like such a lifetime ago. So we're recording in December 2021 right now, guys. But that seems like such a long time ago. And it really wasn't. But it seems like another lifetime. Well, and I, I don't know if you remember when I was uh, closing, the day I was closing for the two cabins in Pigeon Forge. I texted you the night before because it was the day that everything was getting locked down. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sign the paperwork because I don't know if I could find a notary. I don't know what's open, what's not. Um, and, you know, and you didn't know either. No one knew. No. Uh, <laughs> just let me know. Like, we'll do our best. Everyone will understand. And, you know, obviously I found a notary and um, something in my mind, even though I know a lot of people at the time were backing out of their deals, Something in me just said, keep going. I think this is still a good thing. Even if I can't rent it out for months, um, I'll take time to learn more and figure out how to list this properly and do it. And obviously it's worked out because through COVID, uh, short-term rentals have really exploded. So, Yeah, you, you definitely stuck it out. And that's the time to buy when everybody else is freaking out. That is the time to buy, but it's scary. It's scary to do. I had tons of clients that backed out of stuff during that time. I think it was set. Like, I think we had like maybe 10 million worth of contracts fall out. And I was like, um, you do what you do, what you need to do here, because I have no advice and yeah. you know, this is 100% up to you. But, uh, so we had a few people, especially on some, um, like almost finished pre-construction, like new construction, spec homes. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word mm -hmm. uh, that were like almost done and they were under contract for 800 even. And then they pulled out and I'm like, you know what? Fine. You, you protect yourself. Let's all do what we have to do here. And then they, those same people, you know, two or three months down the road when they realize that we aren't, you know, we're not all going to die here and everything is not coming to a screeching halt anymore, came back and they said, Oh, you know, I want to get back under contract on one of those things. And I'm like, okay, cool. It's 1.5 million now. <laughs> so it's uh the, yeah. I mean that's some of the craziest I mean the craziest things that anybody in our lifetimes has ever seen is is getting through covid in any industry. Well, it was so weird. I mean, you know, like we did talk about it a little bit, but it's like no one knew what to expect or you know, like I didn't know if like 
Airbnb was going to shut down. VRBO was going to shut down. I, you know, none of us knew and like what the regulations were. I mean, I know California and I wasn't in this market at the time, but Idlewild did shut down for a pretty long time and didn't allow short-term rentals. Um, but uh, obviously they're back up and running and stronger than ever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, something in me just knew, I think no matter what, this is going to be good. And, um, you know, in learning real estate for the two years prior before I actually purchased a place, my long-term goal is appreciation and kind of creating these little, what I call savings accounts in these properties that I'm purchasing and having someone else pay it off. I 100% agree with it. I know you don't want to call them a savings account, but that's kind of what it is. Like you're putting your cash there and if you're doing it well over time, it's just going to, Gonna, aside from cash flow, make you money and you can pull that cash back out later. So, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's my whole thing is like, I'm not, I'm not in it for a quick return. I mean, obviously the cash flow of short-term rentals are very good and I'm very appreciative of it, but ultimately I'm trying to build a portfolio that, um, is my, my nest egg. And, and, uh, even if it dips down below, I'm not planning on selling it anyway. So I'm not too concerned about that. I'm more concerned it's still paying itself off or someone else is paying it off for me. And that part is super exciting to me. Me too. So last question before we get into our final three, how are you financing these properties? Um, so everything that I've done so far has been traditional financing. Um, the one, uh, my second deal in the Smoky Mountains, I did do the 10% down um, vacation loan, which I just recently financed out of that. So it's back to a traditional one. Um, I, uh, when I started real estate investing, I did get a HELOC on my primary residence. And I have been using that as almost like my hard money lender, but for very cheap rates. And, um, and when I refinance back out, I put it back in my HELOC and then I could kind of rinse and repeat and keep going. But yeah, that's a great strategy. And everything's been, yeah. So everything's been traditional so far. Okay, cool. All right. Final three questions. You ready? Yeah. All right. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give 20 year old Josh? Oh man. Uh, stop spending money on stupid things and save to buy real estate. <laughs> if I was buying real estate at 20, it'd be, you know, totally different story, but <laughs> still never too late, but yes, stop spending money on things I don't really need and, <laughs> and, uh, buy real estate. Always a good one. Yeah. And along those same lines, what advice would you have for a new investor who's just getting started today? My advice is uh, I've been stuck in analysis paralysis. Uh, the one thing you have to realize is trust the numbers. They work. All this stuff works. And um, once you get your first deal, it really educates you that it works. And that's when you can really keep going. So I would just say you got to go for it. Gotta get your yeah. first deal and keep going. Also great advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? I hate to say such a standard one, but um, it's okay. <laughs> Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, I read it when I was uh, 
sick with uh, when I was battling cancer and I was almost mad at myself that this was a concept that I had not realized before um, earlier in my life. It's such a simple concept and it's not, it doesn't teach you how to do real estate, but the mindset of what you need to do is just, it's mind blowing. That's always a great one. I will never say, oh, no more rich dad, poor dad. We're so sick of hearing that because it really is. It's a good one. It's it's famous for a reason. I know. It's inspiring. I I, I think that's the bottom line. And, mm-hmm. and then you have to figure out how to physically do the deals later, but it inspires you to get there. Yeah. 100% agree with that. Well, thank you, Josh, so much for coming on. And um, is the, if you want to be reached by our listeners, where can they find you? Um, I am on Bigger Pockets and okay. on Instagram, uh, Bunkhouse Worldwide is an Instagram that I will start sharing some real estate investing journeys and some of my cabin pictures and stuff like that. Um, and yeah. So those two right, cool. places you can reach out directly. All right. At Bunkhouse Worldwide, they can follow your journey in short-term rental investing. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We'll catch you next time.